Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. The Dead Speak. We start off The Rise of Skywalker with a crawl that really kind of wakes up the audience to a story that's taken place between The Last Jedi and now. The Emperor has returned. Uh, he sent out a mysterious message across the galaxy that the Sith will find their revenge. Uh, this perks the ears of Kylo Ren, so he's searching for the Phantom Emperor, while Rey, The Last Jedi, trains from the teachings of uh, her master Leia, uh, while they kind of try and rally the troops of the Resistance. Uh, Kylo is on a mission to find the Emperor. He travels to Mustafar, slaughters uh, the guardians that Vader had kept of his Wayfinder. Uh, the, he takes the Wayfinder device. That leads him to Exegol. Uh, he gets that. He finds his way to Exegol in the Unknown Regions. Uh, he travels down to a large Sith tomb on this lightning planet uh, where he hears a booming voice kind of haunting the caves and it's Emperor Palpatine and he's telling him that I've been every voice in your head I am Snoke I am Vader I am everything Palpatine basically tells Kylo Ren we have to deal with the ray of it all uh, whether that means kill her or whatever. Be careful of her. She's not who she says she is. Meanwhile uh, our heroes that is minus Rey, uh, Finn and Poe, Chewie are aboard the Millennium Falcon doing some important uh, resistance grunt work. Uh, they're uh, apparently on a pretty dangerous mission to retrieve a message that has been transmitted via the First Order and some kind of mole who's delivering them what we realize later to be uh, information about Palpatine having returned. They get back uh, after having maybe done some Falcon hacking a little bit. They skipped through light speed. Ray discovers this. She's not impressed. Poe's not impressed with, with Ray's treatment of BB-8. There's tension, but there's bigger fish to fry. Yes, Poe's a little annoyed at Ray for the BBA treatment because as she was doing a training course, practicing her ability to connect with the spirits of uh, essentially Jedi Force ghosts, uh, and she decides she's going to clear her head by running an obstacle course. Uh, she shows a little bit of anger in that obstacle course uh, and finishes it off by uh, cutting down a tree that falls on BB-8, and that kind of makes her realize, oh shit, look what I did. And then she goes back, uh, she hands the lightsaber to Leia, saying, I'll earn your brother's saber one day. Uh, and then essentially our resistance troops rally around. Poe gives uh, a speech with a ton of expository dialogue setting up the rest yeah. of the movie. And they decide that they're going to go on their way, but they need to find Exegol. Uh, and then Ray says, wait a minute, that's familiar. And she looks in the, the journals that Luke uh, had on uh, Octo uh, and realizes that Luke almost found Exegol and that she can pick up where he left off um, and decides to go. And then Finn and Poe and Chewie decide to come with her along with Rubio. There's a lot of fear in Ray, a lot of self-doubt, and we're not really sure at this point exactly the depth of that or what it means. Uh, we know that she's uh, having to have some some fairly surface conversations with Leia because the Leia that we're working with in this movie was distinctly limited, and we can talk about that later. Um, but it's fine. It, you understand, it's, it's, very, it's very traditional in Star Wars for your main uh, virtuous hero to have doubts about themselves. And uh, hero that she is, she wants to go alone, but uh, 
her her friends, of course, are going to go with her. And that's maybe the most gratifying uh, thing about this movie uh, in the way it instigates is that we're going to get the band, I was going to say back together, although this particular band has never fully existed. Uh, and it's really nice that we're going to have this entire crew on the Falcon together at the start of this movie. You have high hopes. Yes. And the only other thing that happens in this first 20 is Kylo gets his mask repaired by Planet of the Apes. Right. Right. And is that happening on Exegol? Uh, no, that is happening. Uh, fuck, no, I don't know where that's happening. Involved, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Just somewhere. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've been reading the novelization and I can't even place place it at the moment. It must be on the ship. Not to start off with a bunch of negativity, and I do, I do want to say at the start of this season, I mean, we talked about this movie a lot. Certainly, there are a lot of flaws that we can nitpick and mm. we should. I don't just want to, like, uh, complain about this movie. I, I, I still am on the fence of this is overall a good movie. Probably the more I watch it, the more I'll, I'll see some holes in it, and that's fine. Um, but I, I do want to point out as many positives about this movie as we can. Having said that, I want to start by saying I think Exegol is, is one of the biggest problems with this movie because it, it so leaves the the viewer uh, out on a raft, like floating off to sea. Like there's so many problems with the fact that there clearly has been at least a whole movie worth of story uh, between this movie and the last we saw our heroes. Um, and or, or maybe over the course of those eight movies, there's all kinds of stuff that we don't know that they're just trying to cram into a crawl. Uh, which is bloated, and a speech from Poe, which is bloated, and a speech from Palpatine, which is bloated. Uh, so we're already getting all this information coming our way, and it's a lot to process. And the fact that it's all hinging around this planet, which is almighty bad, um, and we've never heard it before, it feels very exclusive. It feels like I wasn't invited to the party. I think that's a fantastic... I love that you just said that, because uh, guess what, Colin? no one was invited to that party. That was a party right. that didn't exist because, or better yet, um, that was a party that you heard about and really wanted to go to. Um, and then you got an invitation in the mail to, but you actually, the invitation is to a party that was next door. Uh, and right. it had, it, it was, it was a barbecue as well, but it was, it wasn't the same thing. Like Exical, there have been multiple, whether it's through Canon and legends, Sith worlds, not many, yeah. but there's Korriban, Moriban, which is the main one. Uh, that was one in both Legends and and Canon. It switched from Korriban, Moriban to Korriban, I believe. Uh, and then there's a there's one or two other ones, but Exegol sure shit wasn't them. So why wouldn't you go with one of those ones that we've never seen visually before and also has a better name than Exegol because it's a terrible, terrible name. It's the one of the worst named main Star Wars planets ever, and it's also the most named Star Wars planet ever. I would be shocked if there's another planet that they say the name of more. Yeah. Because they're trying to trick you into thinking yeah. you know that this planet is important. Yeah. And I it's not. Right. It's not important at all. It, it, I, I get that it's kind of a tomb, but... Like, it's a stupid name. I actually, I want to run through all of my take backs at the start, actually, because I think that'll okay. allow me to, to keep some consistency with the way I viewed things. Um, and I guess kind of it stands as the backbone towards all of my thoughts, really. Um, okay, the sure. crawl uh, is terrible. It's one of the worst crawls in crawl. Star Wars. 
Can you tell me in a little more detail why it's so bad? Because I don't think like the syntax of it is so bad. I know you really don't like the words, the dead speak in particular, like that, like that has become Mm -hmm. symbolic of everything that's wrong with this movie for you. Uh, Yeah. I I don't so much have a problem with the poetry of it, but, but specifically what bothers you about this crawl? Uh, I actually love that you said also the symbolic nature, and I will hit on that with one other one as well. I feel that there are two lines that symbolically sum up this movie, the dead speak And somehow Palpatine returned. That is literally a line in the movie. Somehow Palpatine returned. And the only thing that's built off of that, the only thing that's built off that is dark science, cloning, secrets only the Sith knew. Charlie friggin' Pace coming in. Like you could you could literally write those lines on his hand and show them through a submarine wall. And it's a tiny little explanation. You get like what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words that explain how Palpatine came back from a character we've never met before and do not get explained any of their significance. So those are the two. Meanwhile, uh, and then I'll return back to mean, Crawl. Meanwhile, you have a whole movie which is about how Palpatine is obsessed with cloning and you can mm. use that to better relate it to how he has come back. Um, I actually think I my counter to um, somehow Palpatine returned for definitive line, particularly of this 20 and perhaps of the movie in general is spoken by Palpatine in this 20 when he says, I've been dead before I have died before. I find that to be such a uh, such a hasty um, retcon of something that's confusing and they know is confusing. Yes and no. However, for me, this comes to the the tragedy of the first time I saw the movie, unfortunately. And that okay. comes from Poe's line is bad and gets me worried. Palpatine's line is, oh, I can't wait for you to explain that later. Even at the it. end of the... No, but that's what I'm saying. Even at the end of the movie, he does like, once as I fell, so falls the final Skywalker. Also... I'm kind of expecting, at this point, I've almost lost a little bit of hope that they're going to explain anything, but the things with Palpatine were, and especially that entire opening sequence, it's incredible. It loses a lot for me. Like, the first time I watched it, I was so, so, so into it. For so much of the movie, I'm so into it because I feel like there's going to be a payoff, and then there isn't the payoff. And so when I watch it this time, it's almost like, ah, but you don't actually come back to that point. I'm expecting that to be cut off so that like the audience is supposed to be a little bit held back. And that's totally fine. Sure. But then you do need to then explain it. And so that's where my issues come from. It's, it's never the issue of um, it being a little bit mystical, like the Sith Eternal cult. Uh, it's annoying that they're not explained. It's annoying that it's not explained how you have like... Uh, the slaves that are uh, running the, sh- the Star Destroyer fleet. But, like, you can get past those kind of things. But the Palpatine returning from the dead with no explanation and the only, like, partial half-assed explanations are either, like, ones where you're expecting, oh, no, you no, finish your sentence, finish your sentence, or right. just completely, like, that's all you're giving us. And so that's really the, the anger of it all. But, okay, anyway, the dead speak, uh, it's a bad part of the crawl, and then you get a bunch of generic garbage. I do like uh, the part about the Phantom Emperor. Uh, I think that's a good little, like, just chunk of line. Um, But it's like Rey, the final Jedi, training to battle, like, the diabolical first. They don't actually say anything. 
They just say right. the dead speak, and then Kylo Ren's looking for the Emperor. Everything else is like, okay, you're going to try and cram a crap ton into between eight and nine. This is your only piece of like classic Star Wars exposition to explain. Meanwhile, or what you missed on Star Wars, uh, that's all you're giving us. I mean, like, I guess that's fine because that is the most broad summation of what has occurred in that time period, but it doesn't tell us anything. So don't tell us it. Tell us something more important. You don't need to have the crawl set up everything that's happening in the story. You don't like the crawl for like um, friggin' Return of the Jedi is 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 not like Luke Skywalker is building his first lightsaber as he goes to take on the powerful Empire and learning the fate of whether or not Darth Vader is his father. While he rescues, like you know meanwhile, Leia saves her love. Han Solo frozen in like, like no, we know this shit. Give us right. actual so exposition. Right. And so that's the reason why I don't like the crawl on that one is because it just doesn't like then you just rush into things. That's like and once again, there's you can excuse them, but you can only excuse them as far as it will be fixed by like it's not a finished product. You can never judge something midway through. And so a lot of these things, the first time I saw, I liked and then return back I look at it and I'm almost like that's not fair you don't come back to that right. and I don't I don't blame the makers of the film I blame the deadline that they were so obsessed with adhering to it's not hard to make this movie better it's not it just needed more time in the editing room I saw this morning and I'll send it to you after this and it was a little bit heartbreaking obviously in a dr- overly dramatic Star Wars sense but I watched the battle between Kylo and Rey on the Death Star in the rain, scored to Duel of the Fates with a subtle underscore of Battle of the Heroes, which is the Obi-Wan versus Anakin. First of all, did you? I didn't realize it because I went back and I was like, wait a minute, I don't even know what the scoring was in that scene. It's not scored. That's insanely stupid. Yeah. It's not wow. scored. And when you score with those two, it was some of the most like engaging Star Wars. It was unbelievable. It would have absolutely um, rivaled the throne room scene from The Last Jedi. Uh, whereas I just right. like the only part of that fight that I really felt had any heart was the very, very end. I kind of think that what, that John Williams is one of the few people that work on Star Wars who doesn't. He, he, his work doesn't get committed. I don't think it gets second no. guessed, and namely because his craft is too specific and too academic for suits to understand. Suits think they they know, uh, you know, Bob Iger, whoever it is, who gets their their finger in the bowl before it's done done baking. I think they know whether or not there needs to be a kiss here or a fight here or a, a what. But I Actually, don't think they can say whether or not the 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 score for a movie is is properly baked and so i think that gives john williams who's in his 80s and didn't necessarily want to work on this movie in the first place um i think that gives him some license to cut some corners and i saw another instance of that in this particular 20 towards the end when uh ray is coming around she's getting her final pep talk from from leia before they go off to pisana i wholeheartedly agree There are some serious Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone themes in the scoring of this movie, which is also John Williams. 
think he got lazy when he made this movie, and I don't blame him. Well, it's interesting because he did want to do this movie because of his muse obsession with Daisy Ridley and Ray. Um, and okay. I will say, though, the use of Ray's theme in this movie is the only theme that's used well in this movie. And it's used extremely yeah. well. It's used extremely well. Uh, the very, very end when they use Ray's theme, I think, is one of the best uses of music in the entire sequel trilogy. And so, But I, I do agree. There's bits of laziness in there. Although, interestingly, I would have 100% agreed with you on the creative freedom. But we found out this week that that's not 100% the case because uh, J.J. had not intended to play Yoda's theme as Luke raises the X-Wing out of the the like ocean of Octo. He just didn't occur to him for some ridiculous reason. And then everyone around yeah. him told him, are you kidding me? You have to play the yeah. exact music, do it in exact mirror. And so he, he realized, Oh, you're totally right. That's the right decision. But JJ was the one who made that decision. And so that's one thing that's just kind of interesting that if JJ made that decision, then maybe there is some influence. But then again, at the same time, you, I can never blame John Williams on this one because, like I said, the biggest fault of this movie was how rushed it was. And so John Williams had like a month and a half probably to score this thing. Yeah, that's probably true. I don't know how rushed uh, The Force Awakens was. You and I agree that The Force Awakens is a fantastic Star Wars movie. Most people mm. do. But... I think we blame a lot of the problems with this movie on the fact that it's been overcommitted or it's been like executed to uh, executived rather uh, to death. Um, exoggled was, to death. But exoggled to death. But but just the fact that there was as much Carrie Fisher left on the cutting room floor after they shot the Force Awakens indicates that that wasn't all like they they didn't exactly know what they were doing when they started work on that movie either. And you can still have yes. a good final product with with some trial and error and some friggin' around. Yes and no, but I mean, generally, you're going to film a longer movie anyway. Uh, and Leia's initial scene was like she was supposed to be introduced before Han, and so they wanted to wait because of the introduction that they thought that Han and Chewie that was the most powerful way to introduce the old characters while giving us the opportunity to meet the new characters. And I think I think the best thing that The Force Awakens succeeds on above all else is before Han arrives. And that's, like, some people, like, I've, I've heard this before, the opinion that The Force Awakens' best moments are before Han arrives. I disagree with that, but I think it proves itself as a Star Wars movie the most before Han arrives. Because it's, like, I'm, I'm, I'm 100%, 100% all in on that movie with no connection to anything else in the galaxy far, far away, really. There's almost nothing. Yeah. We've seen Stormtroopers. That's all we know. And we know that Kylo Ren's got a, fam a familial connection to something. Ray seems familiar to what we know of Star Wars, but there's no connection to anything. And so that's what's really great. And then once again, like you, but you lose that liberty. And then there's where people always question whether J.J. is someone who can stick the landing. Right. Uh, let me okay, get back so to kind of some of the... Sorry, I was going to get I, back I to kind of my... Yeah, yeah, you're. Uh, I know we're we're not in the same room, so we're talking over each other a little bit. I, I just wanted to bring up one of my takebacks, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um. As long as as long as we're talking about Ray, it's this weird uh Ray Poe, uh sexual uh, like tension, this bickering between them. Really could have used your help out there. How'd it go? Really bad, actually. Really bad. On ship. What'd you do to the droid? What'd you do to the Falcon? Falcon's a lot better shape than he is. BB-8's not on fire. What's left of him isn't on fire. Tell me what happened. You tell me first. You know what you are. What? You're difficult. Really difficult. You, You're a difficult man. You are. Ray. Mm. Finn. Oh. 
You made it back? Yeah, barely. Buddy. So, bad mood. You're a mess. Me? Him. Always. Which is, is, is really only like servicing the fact that at the end of The Last Jedi, they meet and they like lock eyes and, and he knows who she is. And there's just kind of this like sweet, tender first meeting, which could be really innocent at the end of The Last Jedi when they meet for the first time, because it's actually kind of jarring to realize they haven't met before, um, considering they're, they're so uh, allegiant already. And now with this little bickering they're doing about the Falcon and about BB-8, you're a difficult man. Uh, and 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 Finn is their son who's just caught in the middle of it. Um, I guess that's to exemplify the fact that they have worked together quite a bit now. Now they're not strangers. They know each other mm. very well, and they're they're they have a lot of problems. And that could be all it is, but it's very clear to me that there was intention for these two to be romantically involved. I think that was why they met the way they did at the end of The Last Jedi. I think it's why it's written this way at the start of Rise of Skywalker. I just can't figure out why they didn't fix it when they decided not to follow that plot line. Well, it's interesting, Colin, because you're 100% right. And novelizations and uh, some people being forward-looking and other people not being forward-looking is the reason behind all of this. So in Trevorrow's script they kind of semi end up as a thing together. Um, and then there's, okay. it would build off of this sexual tension. And so this confrontation, like it's not in Trevorrow's script because I've read Trevorrow's script. It's better than any of the sexual tension in any of Trevorrow's scripts. Uh, it's a great little introduction. It's great Han and Leia. And because Trevorrow wanted uh, to do a romantic line between the two of them, he was the one who asked Ryan Johnson for them to meet at the end of the movie. There you go. And so in The Last Jedi novelization, because Trevorrow had been fired at that point, they did re they made it a, an innocent meeting. And it was for Ray's bit of recognition. Ray is a nobody. She found, like Kylo Ren says that right to her. You're nobody. You have no place in the story. Mm. You, right. you, you don't matter. Not to me, but like whatever he says. And so yeah. that is a moment of here's the best pilot in the resistance. And he knows who Ray is. You know, Ray, Ray's the most important person in the room. And so that's like a right. really, like, that's a, that's a big moment for Ray as a person and the growing moment. So I think it's done really well. And then you also get the, the bastardization of the whole novel mix because they meet in the friggin' Force Awakens novel. And so this is where Disney oh, does right. such a bad job of planning overall and saying like, oh, this is how that's canon, that's how that's canon, that's how that links. But just if they had done any formal planning prior to and actually stuck to their guns, none of those kind of confusions would be there. Although I do, and it is a bit of a take back, I do love the dialogue between the two of them. And it is great because it does mirror Han and Leia like that. I, exactly. And I like that she's grinning when she says you're a difficult man. It's it's very mm. clear that they have a history. It's good acting is what it is. It's good it writing. Is. It's good acting. It's just weird for the characters. Now, considering they've they've gone out of their way to tell us that the, the Ray Ben Solo kiss at the end of this movie isn't something you should... Uh, you should overthink too much and whatever. And considering he's dead now canonically anyway, moving forward, uh, do uh, Ray and Poe hook up eventually, long-term? Are they end game? Uh, I think Ray would be end game with herself in the same way Luke ends up by himself. Um, but also in the same way, Ray, although it's not like romantic, it is... Um, like it, it's still an acknowledgement of them being soulmates almost 
Like that's kind of what it is. It's the fact that she's always seen Kylo Ren, but she's never been able to meet Ben Solo, the one who's she is by the force told is the other half of her. And so it's it's explained in a nice way of them finally kind of embracing each other in that in a, in a very positive way. And so when you think of the way that the Jedi are and the way I would imagine um, the Jedi to continue moving forward, I mean, I don't know. I, I personally, I, I would see her as being someone who would continue to have the force first. Similar to the way Jedi are compared to like priests in that regard, whereas they're like they're supposed to have the force first. But I, I think because she would have that extra special connection with Ben Solo, it would make her ability to, I don't know, feel comforted by the force at a different level. I don't know. I have two things to say to that. Uh, one, don't get me wrong. I do, of course, believe in the romance, the, the greater love story between uh, mm. Ben and Ray. I, I think for sure that that's what they're going for. Um, I do also think that she's like 22 when her soulmate dies and she should be able to like, you know, kiss somebody again. Sure. But also, I think that a big it's part Star of Wars, this though. sequel and, and, and the and the involvement of Luke in this uh, trilogy in particular uh, is the deconstructing of what's stupid about the Jedi. So I don't necessarily think the the mandate of priesthood, monk-like uh, loneliness of the Jedi need exist anymore. Agreed. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, and that comes back to like the dogmatic view of the Jedi. And I, I, I definitely agree. And it's the same way Mark Hamill always wanted to have Luke have a, a girlfriend or a wife. Um, right. But it was the same way George Lucas never gave him one. Um, and it was the same reason why Mara Jade wasn't something that he overly approved of. And it's because Ray is supposed to be the next generation of a higher calling, kind of. Um, and I know that that's not really fair, uh, and it's not necessarily modern in that view. But it's, I don't know. It's it's not something that I that I would necessarily think to. I think it would have had to have been developed a little bit further and i think she's uh i think friendship is almost probably the more important thing to her at this point i don't know necessarily like i think family i, I could see finn and and, and poe needing that more in their lives even after finn um becomes a jedi i could see him needing that more than ray would whereas ray would have such a yeah. strong connection with the skywalkers all of them that i don't know i, I would just see her like hanging out with force ghosts all the time I threw you off course a little bit, so why don't you get back to some of the takebacks you wanted to list off? Yeah, sure. They're all so connected. That's kind of the main reason why I wanted to, to kind of mention them. And so, I mean, like, there's the crawl, uh, there's Poe's line about uh, somehow Palpatine's back, and then there's Beaumont's line of dark science, only secrets only the Sith knew. Uh, the name Exegol, um, Kylo Ren's uh, helmet returning, that's another one. Uh, just, You're not happy with that? I'm not happy with it because there's no purpose for it. Uh, if it yeah. had been, and I, I know this is something I've, I've realized after the fact, if it had been um, purple, I, I would have been okay with it, not red, uh, to, to align with the, the lightning of Palpatine going into Vader's helmet at the end of Return of the Jedi yeah, that's, that's cool. to show the influence Palpatine would have had over the mind of Ben Solo. I think that would have been really, really good, and I think that would have been worth it, but it's otherwise he builds a mask to wear it for one scene or like two scenes. It's unnecessary. And also, yeah. Why build it a year later? 
You broke it a year ago. Why are you building it now? That makes no sense. You're building it just to be like, I, I, I honestly think the actual reason, and there's no proof of this, but I think the actual reason um, is uh, Kylo Ren, and sorry, an Adam Driver's contract that his face is not necessarily the thing that's used as much. I, I'm sure somewhere in there that screen time reversed Toby Maguire. Oh, wow. That would be so... That would be so weird for yeah. I mean, I know that he's not like a but traditional just, movie star, and he's not he's not a vain movie star per se. But that would be so weird. No, but I, not so much for the but for the ability that on every piece of merch, it's the mask face. On everything else, it's just not. But that, that was something I noticed before it even came out that just just merch has the mask on it. And so that's something that people have postured online. So I, I think that does make actually a fair bit of sense. Um, I kind of like the mask, and, and I think that the main reason they brought it back is because the mask is very important to Darth Vader, and they're just trying yeah. to mirror that. Yep, absolutely. And uh, JJ was mad that the mask was probably broken in the last one, and it's a cool mask. Yeah, true. Ray's line of "I will earn your brother's saber one day," and yeah, then put it in some dirt. <laughs> like she just buries it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Bury it on a, an abandoned farm on a planet I've that never he been hated. To no one has. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So that that doesn't work at all. Um, obviously, Poe's line of the uh, somehow Palpatine return, but also one of the the most underlying, debatably canon breaking, illogical worst lines, most problematic, most problematic lines in all of Star Wars by a landslide comes in this 20. In 16 hours, attacks on all free worlds begins. They just oh. put a time clock on the entire episode. So they tell us that everything that happens in this occurs in 16 hours, which means space travel that puts a times that puts a time amount on every other space travel in every other movie. And it, it it's it's a it's a nightmare, canonically. What's a Pandora's did. box? You, it's a horrendous a Pandora's, Pandora's box. box that any yeah. like I cannot believe, cannot believe the story group didn't say you cannot give a time frame like that. That's not something you can do in Star Wars. You can say years. You cannot be so granular. For the same reason, you really shouldn't open the time travel Pandora's box unless you're out of ideas mm -hmm. or you've got something masterful because you're just. It, like J.K. Rowling has always regretted putting time travel in Prisoner of Azkaban because it's just it creates too really? many uh, loose threads. Yeah, it's and it's one of the best books, but it's still like mm. if you start thinking about it too much, then you got to do all kinds of patchwork. It's very complicated. And by the way, not, not to torch the metaphor, and I know I'm the guy who always talks about Harry Potter on our Star Wars podcast, but Harry Potter and the Cursed Child involves time travel and it bastardizes time travel and it is a disaster. So yeah, so it, it, it's exactly like that. And I never would have thought of it. I don't think uh, anybody else will be as bothered no. by it than, than you. Uh, although I've there not might heard be anyone comment there, about it. There might be someone out there who is smart enough and has the time on their hands to use this, uh, this example of, of time as uh, a linear measure as a metric for how to measure all other things, like they'll actually like put like time units on other Star Wars instances, and that would be fascinating. That would be very fascinating and horrendously problematic. It's disillusioned, but super interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause th- th- then there would be things like, wow, like that entire, like, yeah, I don't I'm not going to even start thinking about it, but that's, I mean, like, and also the only other thing I would have would be calling holocrons wayfinders and making them essentially just like GPS. Well, it's like exocolons. You just decided to give something that already existed a new name and confuse everybody instead of just some people. Exactly. Exactly. There you go. Is it? It's not a matter of oh, I feel on the outside. It's let's make everybody feel on the outside. Right. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about the things that won the twenty because uh, I, I wanted to point out. Sure. Um, you you said that the best part of this movie is the start. I mean, when Kylo Ren is two and you want to talk about John Williams score he's operatically just taking names and just doing like back punches on oh it's so, so good to see and then my other favorite part of this 20 one of my favorite parts of the movie is 3PO thanking R2 for his friendship in the event that I do not return I want you to know that you have been a, a real friend R2 my best one in fact yeah, I've got a, I've got a, a handful of great moments too. I will have to say, actually, this one is both a take back and a good moment. Is the Mustafar sequence should have been clearer that it was Mustafar. Like all yeah. you fucking have to do is pan up at the end of the shot and show Vader's castle in the distance. All you have to do, all right. you have to do, um, and then everybody in the room who saw Rogue One goes, "Oh, that makes so much sense." And he's going like, "Oh, that's super cool." Except for only having people who read the fucking visual dictionaries get it. Um, and me Googling when I got home, was that Mustafar? Um, and, but it was also (laughs) such a cool scene and like the atmosphere, the fact that they had growth returning, that's a nice canon nod to other things about Mustafar. Um, the way that the holocron just fits in Kylo Ren's hand. And then the way that they cut across, uh, to showing him traveling in space from looking at the holocron. I think that looks super cool. Uh, but yeah, that entire sequence is incredible. I love everything with the exical, um, like elevator that they've got going. I love Palpatine talking to him. Like I also, there's a bunch of quotes, so I may as well go through a bunch of quotes too. Uh, at last Snoke trained you well, my boy, I made Snoke. I've been every voice you've ever heard inside your head. The dark side is a yeah. pathway to many abilities. Some consider to be unnatural. The might of the final order will soon be ready. It will be yours. If you do, as I ask, Kill the girl, end the Jedi, and become what your grandfather Vader could not. You will rule all the galaxy as the new emperor, but beware, she is not who you think she is. Uh, so like that just entire sequence and the way that the emperor's done and his rotting corpse and that he's a clone, I think it's all great. I wish it was a little bit clearer that it was not, like that it was a clone uh, and that it was indeed like a non- uh, electrified Palpatine, but a rotting Palpatine, something that is a very easy thing to miss or a very easy thing to, to not necessarily understand and that it's Ian McDermott is in a different style makeup. This is a rotting Ian McDermott Palpatine, not a rotting emperor that's been zapped. It's also not clear enough that this entire empire he's, uh, or rather army that he's promising Kylo Ren is essentially a zombie army because uh, you are kind of left wondering where is all this coming from? Like, where are these uh, no. destroyers coming from? So Exical, the entire population of the planet was enslaved and 
that's the Sith Eternal. Like so. Oh, that's not been clear to me at ever. I, I don't it's, think I ever it's 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 not in any of the movies. It's the great Elijah Wood tweet uh, when Star Wars said, "Did you know that Sith? Like, did you, like did you know in the Battle of Exegol, the Sith Eternal fleet was bought like by all of the population of Exegol who were enslaved? No, how could we have known that? It wasn't in the movie." <laughs> Since you mentioned Elijah Wood, and I've been doing this this entire episode, I just, I can't help myself. But at the end, when Ray's like, I need to go alone. Yeah, alone with friends. It's too dangerous, Finn. We go together. That's just a worse version of, I'm going alone, Sam. I know you are, and I'm coming with you. It's in Lord of the Rings. It's better in Lord of the Rings. It's, it's not good comedy in Star Wars when you've heard it better elsewhere. Okay, that's fair in the sense that I, I didn't make that connection, but I think it's still a good line. It's still a good fun line. And I like the way that Finn, like, because the exchange between Ray and Poe, and so Ray ends up with so in a bad mood. Always. <laughs> he said it's like, yeah, Finn's right. like showing some attitude, and like he, Finn's, yeah, I don't know. Finn's just got showing some attitude at the point in time. So I think it kind of works. And Finn's main thing is always, I got your back, Ray. That's his, like, his mission in life is he's got Ray's back. So I don't know. That's it's true. not the end of the world for me on that one. I love the light speed skipping. Uh, I'm confident yeah. that's been mentioned in canon before. And so I thought that was really cool. Having them play Jarek again was great. I thought that the lines were really funny with Poe. Um, that was my master question is what are the, what is the name of the board game in which you should always let the Wookiee win? Ah, uh, there you go. This guy right here. It's cause he cheats. I'm kidding. You're 250 years old. Of course you're better than us. I thought that was a funny line. Um, but yeah, Jarek or also known as hollow chess. Yeah. Uh, the Snoke yeah. tanks. I thought the Snoke tanks were pretty cool. Uh, I thought that although you like, he's been the big baddie of the first two movies, like, I thought it was a really smooth, clean way of making me go, all right, I don't need him. I, I, I'm cool with the switch back to Palpatine uh, and just showing that Snoke was clearly just uh, grown. Yeah, I mean, it also it also helps to back up the mm. the puppetry metaphor. It just it, it, it clarifies the the cloning because we've seen cloning in Star Wars via Palpatine before it. We had we don't have a lot of uh, explanation about the cloning that's happening in this movie, or it has been happening leading up to this movie. We'll take what we can get. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yes, and do you want to do some trivia? Is that what you said? I guess so. Yeah, you already got my master question. My my Padawan question for you um, is kind of twofold because I I know you'll know the answer, but maybe not part two of it. Uh, who voiced the character of Bulio in this movie? Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill did. Uh, do you know who he's credited as as has voicing Bulio? I do know that he has an alias uh, that he used yeah. for voicing Bulio. Uh, I'm never in a million years going to guess it. What is it? It's credited to the name Patrick Williams, and that's it, that's just a Mark Hamill alias he's used a couple of times throughout his career. But I don't know why you'd make the name Patrick Williams. Yeah, that's kind of an odd alias. It's not that interesting. A little corny, but I kind of like the exchange where he's just delivered them what they need and. And uh, and they say to him, uh, how can we repay you? He says, win the war. I think that's good. Yep, I agree. Uh, and then I, I also think it's good that he's the, the executed head in the next one. <laughs> yeah, gruesome. It's a little, it is Mark a little gross, though. Um, Padawan question. How many times is Ray shot by the training probe? That's a good question. Three times? Twice. I figured you'd overshoot twice. it. Ah, you got me. Uh, Jedi Knight uh, question: What what is what is significant about Connix's appearance in this movie? 
Um, she's the only person to touch Leia. You're on the right track. Uh, she's oh no, Ray hugs her in this twenty. Um, she I know she's also the stand-in for her. Well, that's that's maybe that's warmer. Um, is she the only one who's other than Carrie Fisher who has footage from uh, the Force Awakens used? No, although I didn't know that. That's very interesting. More broadly, she's costumed in a look known officially as Endor Leia. Oh, she's sorry. Yes, I, I style. Yeah, and that's that Return is the, Jedi, the best. That is the best Leia too, as well. When she meets, yeah, um, when she meets uh, Little Wicked on the log. Yeah, yeah, that's a great scene. Uh, yes, uh, she has exactly that hair in this twenty. Mm. Why did Ray not want Poe light skipping, light speed skipping? Well, she just says the Falcon can't do it, and he says, "Well, I guess it can." So I, I, I mean, obviously, it, it's just really hard on the. Exoskeleton she, of the ship. She says one other. She says why? I don't know. It's distressing on the Falcon. The compressor was down. Oh, okay. There's something about the compressor in the Force Awakens too, right? I bypassed the compressor or something. Some other compressor. Yeah. I have two ridiculously hard questions and uh, one more. Uh, where did Luke's trail go cold on the hunt for Exegol? This is another easy one. Uh, the Forbidden Desert of Pisana. Yeah, that was my backup Padawan question. Yeah. Um, okay, my yeah. two ridiculously hard master questions. Finn has four colored stripes in the upper left side of his vest. What are the <laughs> colored order of the stripes? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I will tell you this. There are two colors. What are the colors? Okay. Uh, orange and red. Blue and red. Blue and red. Yeah, okay. it's four stripes. It goes uh, blue, red, blue, blue. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, also, right. what what gravity-defying move does Ray do during the obstacle course? I, I don't know. I don't ring a bell. It doesn't ring a bell. Uh, it's very... It's purely cinematic, but it is gravity-defying. Uh, at the very end, she cuts the red cloth and lands about second and a half, two seconds before it, i.e. like using the force to like land quicker, almost like force that's, jumping faster to the ground. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because she like lands like almost like with extra force and then just like is waiting there for it to fall after. Do you have any more, any more observations about this 20 in particular that you wanted to really lean on? Um, not much, just a couple small things, a couple quotes, uh, Ray, when she says, they're not with me. Ugh. I like the, uh, at the end when she's meditating. Uh, I thought that was very yeah. satisfactory of someone who's been at it a while. Uh, a couple good lay lines. Don't tell me what things look like. Tell me what they are. Never underestimated droid. Those are good lines. Uh, I like, the I like when one. I don't, I specifically don't like the one you listed first. I find that to be clearly just a very broad line that they set her up to say because they had her on record saying it. It kind of yeah. is meaningless to me. It is a little bit meaningless, but it's still a good line because it's true. And it's yeah, just, it's supposed so. to, it's mentory because then she follows up with like, yes, master as well. And so like, those are nice. And I like that they build that relationship. I think they do a very good job in defining a bond between the two of them who don't really know each other at this point. Um, yeah, based no, on they do a pretty what good we've job seen. of establishing, they do a pretty good job of establishing a bond between two people who are not working together in this movie. Mm. 
Uh, Poe, it's on fire. Whole thing's on fire. All of it, it's on fire. Uh, you dropped a tree on him. <laughs> I think that a contender for episode title uh, is a Poe line before he jumps to light speed. He says, last jump, maybe forever. It's just very yeah. suiting to this final St- Skywalker movie. That's true. Um, what else would be fitting? I mean, she's not who you think she is. She's not who she's. Th- that's that's was the one I was thinking of. That's definitely one yeah. that makes sense. Uh, my favorite is every voice you've ever heard inside your head. That's good um, too. It's it's just my, one of my favorite lines in the movie. It's just so. Um, I, it's it's very disappointing that we were given that two days before the movie came out because uh, it's so it was executed cool. so well. Yeah, yeah, it was so well done. Um, and only uh, I'm good with any of those. Uh, only other thing I want to say about twenty though is also uh, it is mentioned that Ray is working on her lightsaber in the mm. like at this time. So the yellow lightsaber she has at the movie, like by this point she has is already working on it, uh, and she's thinking about maybe one day she would work on one that um, like even has a hinge in the middle and has is a business end on both ends. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. So like the the dark gray lightsaber was one she was thinking about what she could do down the line. But actually, you do look, and I think her lightsaber's on her workbench, the one that she has at the end. So, like, when she's looking at the tasks, I, I, like, there's a radio-looking thing, and I screenshot, and I think her lightsaber's there, just incomplete, on the workbench. Might, so, it might as well be. that they, I figure they would probably do that. Yeah, and so that just makes kind of sense, but it's kind of a cool little nod there to what's going to come later on that no one would ever notice first time watching. All right, well, let's uh, move on to talk about what's going on in the Star Wars culture. Already, uh, not a ton. Uh, I'd say uh, the the High Republic, I'll give just a little bit of information there. Uh, there's kind of, they went over some of the main characters who are going to be introduced and are going to be focused on in this new era. Uh, Avara Chris is the brightest, most noble example of Jedihood. She's compassionate, not dogmatic, and always ready to sacrifice herself. She's the best of the best. Uh, Loden Greatstorm is a wise Twi'lek master and considered one of the best teachers of the Jedi Order. Uh, strong with a good sense of humor. Uh, Keeve Trennis, a young firebrand Jedi that could have a great future ahead of her if she'd only believe in herself, quick-witted and impulsive. Stellan Gios, an optimatic and well-respected Jedi master, strong in the force and a natural leader, currently stationed at one of the Jedi Temple outposts on a distant planet of Karagon Viner. And Vern Rao, uh, a newly minted Jedi Knight and was the Padawan of Stellan. She works as a devoted member of the Jedi Order and at 16 and was one of the youngest Jedi Knights of a generation. And so it was an interesting kind of take. I'd have to say that really only two of them seemed interesting at all. Um, but I have to say, Loden Greatstorm, uh, great name, very Star Warsy name. Uh, I, I have high hopes of being a Plo Koon more fleshed out. Um, but no, it's interesting. It, it's a little... I have to say this Justina Ireland, who's writing one of the books... Uh, she, she's like, nothing gives me any confidence that she's going to produce anything good because her views are so shitty. Uh, and it just, it, it made me really like just worried to have someone like that involved with star Wars, this character, Vern, Vern Rao, this 16 year old. And so she's doing, she's the main character of one of the books that Justina Ireland is writing. Uh, and the character as a Jedi Knight has a purple lightsaber. And so she made a tweet saying that Vern has a, a purple lightsaber uh, and she's not weak enough to get yeeted out of a window like Windu. 
Oh, that's I'm like, shitty. seriously, stop shitting on other parts of the Star Wars galaxy, you prick yeah. who just joined. Like, yeah, you piss don't off. get to criticize. Like, I mean, uh, one of the great Jedi Masters. Like, you, just because you got welcomed into the fold doesn't mm. mean that you get to be superior. No one gives a shit about your new character yet, so fuck off. Uh, and exactly. I had said last week that she had made some other comments that didn't sit with me well with me and I didn't know why now I know why. So this new, this yeah. author is, I I'm, I'm not looking forward to reading her stuff, but otherwise I am excited for the era. It seems really cool. Okay, uh, good. good. Bit of a uh, bit of sad news. Uh, Andrew Jack, uh, who was the the bearded man from The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens, uh, very, apparently a very, very, very well known and highly respected speech coach uh, in Hollywood, he passed away from the coronavirus, uh, and so that's yep. one of the the first Hollywood names, and certainly the first person from the the galaxy far, far away, but uh, too soon and under horrible circumstances. Yeah, for sure. Um, they're uh, also, sorry, uh, Obi-Wan. So the Obi-Wan TV show and now yeah. has a new head writer. Uh, so it's Joby Harold is his name. Uh, he has almost no experience or professional writing credit. He was He's worked as a producer a bit, but only on like two or three more projects than he's written. And the only projects he's written are a King Arthur, uh, the King Arthur movie with um, Charlie Hunnam. I don't remember Charlie what it's Hunnam. called. And then also a movie yeah. with Hayden Christensen. Uh, and so because there's nothing on him and Obi-Wan has, I know for a fact, has been built off of your audition is your scripts that if he's a nobody who they're giving a chance to, his scripts have to be good to some degree. Yeah. And if he's worked with Hayden Christensen in the past, it gives me extra hope that he wants to maybe work with him again and that he's written him in. I mean, Hayden Christian was the main character of the only, of one of only two movies he's made. <laughs> it, it like like when I look at what the script was for the old Obi Wan TV show and why they wanted to scrap it, I'm thrilled. It was too small, and so the yes. way you need to broaden it out is by incorporating Vader in some way, shape, or form, and. I mean, giving it to a random who's worked with Aiden Christensen makes me kind of hope that there's a chance for that. Well, I, I just think you're taking a couple of walks in, in that. Mm, and, and I'm I also am. very cautiously optimistic. Like, I, I have no reason to believe he and Hayden Christensen aren't buds. Maybe they are. Um, I don't. I don't know. Is he like the executive producer? He's the head writer. Like, he's the showrunner. Like the way. Uh, he, the way. He's like, the head writer. Okay. Yeah, that usually means he's the showrunner, but I, I don't know what the what the uh, I what, don't how Disney likes to set up the the pecking order. It's interesting because there is a showrunner for the Cassian show, but and there's a showrunner for Mandalorian, but I've not heard of a showrunner announced for Obi Wan because Deborah Chow's the director. They can get their hands on a lot of technically good scripts, like they can get almost every writer who would want that job, and it's a lot of writers to give them a spec script for what they would do if they had full, like free reign on the Kenobi TV series. And so I don't know if they so much have a guy who's really good as they have a guy who is exactly what they want. And that might mean mm. really good, but we do have reason to suspect their motives as creative storytellers. And I mean, corporate Disney considering what happened with rise of Skywalker. So I'm cautiously optimistic. Completely agree. And I would 100% like have 
any, I'd have all those worries as well if they didn't fire the previous writers and like what that, what the previous story was, was good enough at a point, i.e. what was the reason it's no longer good enough? I don't know. It's because it's missing something. It's realizing they need to refocus. It needs to realize that they, they need to either get themselves removed. They, there's a reason they're like, the odds are they're not going to go smaller scale with the Kenobi story. Like it's, it's not like it, it was a Jedi who wanted to kill. Sorry. It was a Jedi who wanted to kill Luke Skywalker so that Vader wouldn't come and find him on Tatooine. Like that's, but like it didn't involve Vader and it was, it was just this like other beat story. It was built off of a comic book almost that was done. And so if you want to go with a bigger scope and they needed to start from the beginning, if they, if whatever they had in mind, they, I can imagine it was Darth Vader. It's executives. The, the, what's the biggest like moneymaker for star Wars? It's Darth fucking Vader. And so if this is the last time you have the chance to use Darth Vader, use fucking Darth Vader because it is the last chance you have to use him in a way that makes sense. I agree. Ian McDermott will die, and Ewan McGregor, this will be his last project. There's no other reason to use Darth Vader ever. So use him here and retire him. I, I agree. I'm just saying that this is the same committee that fired Colin Trevorrow when they were making Rise of Skywalker, and he might have made a better movie. They also fired uh, Lord and Miller making Solo, and we'll never know if that might have been a better movie. But I have reason to believe it would have been better than we initially thought when they got fired we were very like oh good they're making a good call we're kind of similar to similarly to how you're behaving right now like oh i bet they made a responsible decision Mm. to cut ties with someone who wasn't going in their creative direction maybe their creative direction isn't your creative direction no and that's absolutely fair and 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 that's the kind of thing that i have to live with um but uh, I, from what I've actually, I heard recently that the reason that Lord and Miller were fired was because they weren't telling the truth. Yeah, that'll do it. And that they were not reporting the accurate things back to Disney based on status. And so it was, I think it was more of a, oh, so you just weren't telling us the truth. Then we don't need to work this out. Um, and then for the Trevorrow thing, I I, I think like, I think it has to, it, it maybe has to be the ending. He must have been convinced that the balance of the force meant something else. Um, or maybe not. I don't know because he was completely wrong on what the balance of the, um, what balance of the force means. Yeah. He could not have gotten that more ass backwards. But I agree. Potentially, everything else was was maybe more interesting or could have been a better movie. But um, who knows? Was it the fact that he wouldn't redeem Ben Solo, or was it the fact that he didn't understand the force? Uh, if he wouldn't redeem Ben Solo, then give me Colin Trevorrow back in any any day of the week because he won't have Ben Solo to deal with. But if it's he didn't understand the force, keep him far away. So it's it's interesting. We have no idea why they've fired these people in the past or why they've changed things up. And so, I mean, it's it's hard because we 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 don't know. But I think we just we have to kind of trust them, even if we don't have a great track record for needing to trust them. I think the most positive thing to take away here is that they're still working behind closed doors to get Kenobi off the ground. True. Like, like we didn't know when they first announced that that guy was fired, what was going to become of the show. We were pretty sure that they would eventually get back on their feet, but we were left really in the dark. And then the coronavirus like completely shut down the entertainment industry. And that is going to cancel some projects. Thankfully, it's not uh, this highly anticipated Star Wars project. Or Mandalorian season two. 
Which leads into the other story that we have is that there might be somebody that we're very familiar with in Mandalorian season two. Uh, there's a chance the it would be shocking if she wasn't in one of two projects. I don't know what the other one that was shot was, but apparently uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was seen exiting uh, the production area that both the Mandalorian and one other project were being done on on multiple instances. So it was it's the odds of it being a set visit are extremely low because it's multiple visits. And apparently based on the time frames, it makes more sense for Mandalorian. And based on who the Mandalorian casts, people who were popular in the 70s, 80s, 90s True. era, yeah. it makes complete sense that they chose her and that Favreau cast her maybe when he wrote it in the 80s or 90s. So that's like, I think it would be a, a great, great fit. And there's so many things she could be. Just a thought. No disrespect to Laura Dern, who did a perfectly good job. Jamie Lee Curtis would have been a better Holdo. Yes, she would have been a better Holdo. And that is the first thing I thought of, too. Oh, funny. I, it's, it is exactly the first thing I thought of. Because it was, what kind of character would that be? And I immediately thought of Holdo. And then I thought, you know what would be even cooler than Holdo? Holdo, who's not actually good. Yeah. Ooh. So Holdo, who is sneakily uh, a First Order fascist who is ex ex imperial and is now in the world but is secretly part of the the growing first order yeah. she would be a very very good politician for um potentially you could even you could even novelize her after and keep the character going and being a big foe for leia or something but um a very cool character if you want to introduce some political uh, affiliates to Moff Gideon. I think she could be really cool. Right. So that'd be exciting. Yeah, oh, I like that a lot. Very cool. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, I mean, it's a rumor, but it's uh, something I'm excited about. It, yeah, it's it's a rumor, but it's one that seems to make a lot of sense. And, I mean, obviously her role, it could be anything, and she could be in it for very little, but uh, it would definitely excite me. Yeah, for sure. Is that all we have? Yeah, that's all we have got in the news. Uh, not a whole lot else going on. Um, hopefully, I mean... Uh, Hopefully when the coronavirus ends, there'll be a bunch of things that we can then talk about. Oh, one other thing. Uh, Star Wars is still, for some w in, in some way, still on schedule for a 2020 movie. Sorry, 2022 movie. That's because they're just writing scripts. You can do that in self-isolation. They're still... Yeah, so, it, like, well, I'm, but if it's, if that's the case, I mean, I think it's probably the Feige one. Yeah, that's probably why they hired him being like, hey, we need a movie so that people don't think like Star Wars is dead. Can you do one movie to buy us some time? Which is fine. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's great. Why not? So it gets us a movie. Star Wars Feige. birthdays. I uh, want to wish a happy birthday last Friday, April 3rd to Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, this past Monday, April 6th to Billy D. Williams. That's a big one. Uh, Friday 10th. Nice. This this Friday the 10th. Uh, another big one. Daisy Ridley having a birthday on the same day as Max von Sydow. Oh, wow. Look at that. Now, for God of Cast 1... I'd be curious to know about his role. Go ahead. I'd be curious to, I'd be curious to know a little bit more about his role, um, maybe in relation to her on Jakku. If there was something... if Because Luke knew she was a Palpatine. I'd be curious to know, know if some way, shape, or form he was there because Luke put him there. Oh, I thought that was kind of confirmed. I thought you had told me that. Well, well, it was it was something when we were like speculating before the rise of Skywalker that it made a ton of sense to be the case, but we didn't know who Ray was at that point in time. We just assumed we knew she was going to be something. We knew it wasn't going to be that she was a nobody, right. um, and so 
ended up being the case. For Gotta Cast One, I, I typically uh, will use some kind of uh, really relevant pop cultural thing to draw two people who are doing something else um, into our conversation. Can't really do that because there's not a whole lot happening pop culturally right now, or at least with like mm. new uh, entertainment being released. Uh, unless you wanted to argue about like Joe Exotic and, and Carol Baskin being in Star Wars. I gather that you probably don't. Mm. Uh, so just pick two people nope. who are often paired together uh, in the same conversation. You got to pick one to cast in Star Wars. Is it going to be Tina Fey or Amy Poehler? That's an interesting one. Uh, you could get away with doing either. I think you could get away with doing Tina Fey in any role. Amy Poehler, I don't think could be a human. That's just, a, what a weird thing to say. Amy Poehler is a way better actor than Tina Fey. Yes, she is. I, I, I agree, but I don't know if, like, you know, with those faces, you say like a face for texting. Yeah. I don't necessarily see that, but she has a, she has a face from earth. Um, she's, she's too Amy Poehler. She's too <laughs> Leslie Nope. Uh, I, I don't know why, but I feel like Tina Fey is, is, even if she's not as good of an actor, she's a better chameleon than Amy Poehler. Okay. Yeah. In the sense that, or maybe she's more discreet than Amy Poehler and thus can be more malleable. Yeah. Amy uh, whereas Amy specific. Poehler, I think would be better as a, as a droid or an alien, um, and really, you could have Tina Fey be. I actually think you'd probably go with Tina Fey as, as a human. I think you could have her be, um, or a human or a droid. I don't know. Actually, let's go with. Can we go with both? Can I cast both? Sure. Can we make them like a new R two three PO pairing <laughs> um, that we come across in a certain way? Right. Um, they're both protocol droids. Um, that just like one of them is programmed horrendously. One of them's one of them's a little got, got slow programming, and the other one's a little speedier. Right. Um, and so they're a little bit of a of a pinky in the brain. And together they host the intergalactic Golden Globes and and really roast of the course. intergalactic George Clooney. Yeah. Although I think it would be cool to have them as like servants to like a Jabba the Hutt type character, that's and then you could have like little like ridiculous side antics. Right. See, that's stunt casting in Star Wars, but if it's done minimally, I'm okay with it. I'm not above it. No, and it's the kind of thing that with droids, you could get away with that. The same way that you can kind of get away with Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally. Like, you can get away with Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally being stormtroopers. You can, for sure. Because it's, like, it's just not there, and it's not all the time. Except I could have put Jason Sudeikis in a bigger role in Star Wars. Absolutely, I agree. And he still could have one down the road. It's it, it doesn't exclude him the way that like Jodie Comer is now excluded. She is, and that's a real shame. She's such a good actor. Yeah, and would fit in Star Wars wonderfully. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, let us know your thoughts on that Gotta Cast one or anything you might uh, have observed about the first 20 of The Rise of Skywalker. We all have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this movie, so keep them coming. We've got a seven-part season uh, ahead of us. Um, uh, anything you want to let us know, uh, engage at Recorder66 on Twitter, Recorder66podcast at gmail.com, rate and review on your preferred podcast app. Stay well, uh, stay healthy, and until we're together again, may the force be with you. Be with you.